You're listening to Gospel-Centered Rest, a podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of life and theology, and how Christ's promise of rest for the weary and heavy-laden gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Good afternoon, David. Tyler, good to meet again. Good. Good to meet again, and good to be continuing the conversations that we've been having few episodes ago, we mentioned four books that we'll be reading through together as we continue our discussion about caring for one another and finding comfort in the gospel. And these four books really do lay a good foundation for the Christian faith. And obviously, there are many books that we could choose from. But these books are a good start. And the first book that we mentioned is Basic Christianity by John Stott. Now, David, why is it that you started with this particular book? Yeah, we're, we're trying to work our way through uh, four books, um, one per month. And uh, the reason why uh, I wanted to go through The Christian Life by John Stott is, um, first of all, I, I think it's just written in such a way where it encourages us and teaches us to engage in gospel conversation. And then secondly, um, it's written to ground us in gospel living. Um, so first, to, to uh, uh, when we read through this book, I think it helps us to engage in a gospel conversation with those who are struggling to understand the gospel or just are searching for Jesus. Um, where do you even start that conversation? Or are, are you uh, um, afraid to have a conversation, a gospel conversation with um, an unbeliever? And just reading through this book helps us to be able to engage in that type of conversation. Um, if we just look at uh, where he begins the book, um, and I, I love what Stott does here, is he begins to talk about Jesus. Uh, I think so often we're taught to begin with sin and um, tell people how bad they are. But I think Stott does something um, unique and, and I think really helpful to the discussion, and that's just talking about Jesus um, and dealing with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and his character. And there is a certain beauty to the character and to the work of Jesus. Um, so I think uh, engaging people in a gospel conversation. And then I think the second part of, or the second value of reading this book is it grounds us in Christian living. Um, we may not say it quite this honestly, but I think we can think about the Christian life in this way, where if we've heard the gospel once and maybe are reminded of, reminded of it a few times um, as we go through um, our, our life, um, our sins are forgiven, uh, and then we're going to impress Jesus with our brilliant life that we're living. Um, I think that's how we can often think about what it is to be a Christian. But in reading this book, it brings us back to the gospel again and again and again. And I think that's going to just be one of the greatest achievements of a believer's life is that we get to know Jesus more and more. So um, I think this book helps us uh, go back to the basics of the gospel, which becomes our great refuge and um, a place of great courage and great comfort in our life. So we're going through difficulties and, and we think, oh, do I, do I need to do that? But with Stott's book, we just come back to a great savior who's saved us from a great amount of sin um, and brings this great comfort, this great courage, um, this great desire to live for him. Mm -hmm. and, and while reading Stott, 
What are some quotes or some thoughts that have really encouraged you personally while going through this book? Yeah, I'd love to read. And, and I shared it actually once in one of the sermons. Um, and I hope it's not too long, so stick with it. But this is these are the first um, few paragraphs of chapter one. I love how this begins. Uh, in the beginning, God. The first four words of the Bible are more than just an introduction to the creation story or to the book of Genesis. They supply the key which opens our understanding to the Bible as a whole. They tell us that religion of the Bible is a religion of the initiative of God. You can never take God by surprise. You can never anticipate him. He always makes the first move. He is always there in the beginning. Before man existed, God acted. Before man stirs himself to seek God, God has sought man. In the Bible, we do not see man groping after God. We see God reaching after man. And by that, he means humanity. What a great way uh, to open up a book. And then just this, this last paragraph, the third paragraph of chapter one. Many people visualize a God who sits comfortably on a distant throne, remote, aloof, uninterested, and indifferent to the needs of mortals until, it may be, that they can badger him into taking action on their behalf. Such a view is wholly false. The Bible reveals a God who, long before it even occurs to man to turn to him, while man is still lost in darkness and sunk in sin, takes the initiative rises from his throne, lays aside his glory, and stoops to seek until he finds him. Uh, I love the introduction to the book because how many people are living their lives wanting to be found? Um, they, uh, they know something's missing. It doesn't quite add up. And here we can speak about um, a God who searches and who finds and who brings um, uh, life uh, to death. Yeah. And I love, I love that. And, and the thought that God reaches down to us to bring us into communion with himself. What a personal loving and affectionate God that we do serve. Now the, the second book, the next book on the list that we mentioned is Sinclair Ferguson's The Christian Life, A Doctrinal Introduction. Now, why this book? Doesn't the word doctrine tend to divide or even scare people away? Yeah. I, the, the first book is about deepening our relationship with the message of Christ or the gospel message. Um, and I, what I love about this second book, and, and it might be a bit heavier but um, I think it's so profound because it just anchors us uh, in some of, the, some of the basics of the Christian faith. Um, but when, when, we, when, we think, when I think about doctrine, um, doctrine is just getting to know Jesus, uh, getting to know the work of Jesus. Um, so it's, it's the very opposite of alienating us from God. Um, it actually draws us closer. Um, to God, because when we're drawn to God, we see his beauty and we see, um, and, and we may struggle with understanding certain things or understanding how God works or the character of Jesus. But uh, once the foundation gospel has been laid, um, for example, in the first book, then the second book builds on that. And it really talks about 
Um, it's, it's, a, it's a place where you can really get to know the work of Christ, his person, his will for our life, um, and then how we love him and uh, how we live before him. So doctrine is often given a bad, made into be a bad word or think uh, doctrine doesn't divide. We divide because of doctrine. Um, and, and I think that that's a big difference. Um, it's not the, it's not doctrine, it's our hearts and how we handle doctrine. And so what this like does... Like our response to the doctrine, right? Like that's right. How... Like, our, like our pride can get in the way, uh, become argumentative with others and things like that. Yeah, and just Good. not journey with people who are going to grow in certain areas of their understanding of who God is. Um, and you know, if, if doctrine is really getting to know Jesus, then the end place of doctrine is really beginning to understand just how much we're loved. Uh, so I think, I think the second book will be a, a huge help just settling, um, or, you know, learning some, some of how much we're loved by Christ. And then the third and the fourth book, uh, the third mm-hmm. book is deepening our relationships with one another. So deepening relationship with the gospel deepening relation with God, which flows into deepening our relationship with one another, The Broken Down House by Paul David Tripp. And then the final book that we want to go through is When God Weeps by Johnny Erickson Tata. And um, just watching our relationship with God deepen, even when we travel through hurts and pains in life. Um, so so these four books are meant to deepen our relationship fl- with God, one another, and just times when we pass through darkness in this life. And I love how so many of the truths in these books about doctrine, about relationships, about uh, suffering, they're all represented in First Peter. And we see from the beginning to end of First Peter, relationships, suffering, the, how the doctrine of God, the truth of God, the truth of the gospel impacts all those areas. And so just to, just to change gears for a moment, Sunday morning, you spoke from 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, and you shared about those who are deeply loved and are deeply impacted. Can you apply that maybe a little bit more to our lives? Yeah, but um, before before I share some of my thoughts, I'd be interested uh, if you might, you know, when, when you heard the message or just as you've studied mm-hmm. uh, 1 Peter 2 before, um, what, what were some of the things that came out for you in verses 11 and 12? Yeah, I think that there's so much in these two little short verses. It's amazing, uh, it, really. It, it really is when you start to look at them. Uh, but one of the things that really stood out to me is just a reminder that the pleasures of sin are temporary. When you look at verse 11... Peter's appealing to the believers, and he says, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. And he, in this moment, he reminds them again, you are strangers and exiles. You, this, this life is temporary. And so the things that come with this life, the sin that you struggle with, it's temporary. So why would you give yourself to the pleasures of something that's temporary and do that uh, at the expense of the eternal truths that are now uh, a part of your life and a part of your eternity. So when I was just thinking through that, uh, I, I found that a great encouragement that even though I might be struggling with sin today, that it's not going to be something that's going to last for eternity. There is going to be an end to this. But then joined with that, I got thinking that through these verses, we're also reminded that God redeems, accepts, and transforms and uses sinners. 
if you think about it, Peter goes through chapter one and he's just, he's, he's laying it on these believers. This is who Christ is. This is what the gospel is for you. You've been transformed. You've been redeemed. You've been renewed. You are exiles in this land. You've got an eternity uh, with Christ, an eternity in glory to look forward to, which is your complete hope. And uh, he's, he finds it important to mention to these same believers with all this truth, to mention it, that they're strangers and exiles in this land and that they should abstain from their sinful desires. And I don't know about you, David, but being a believer, sometimes uh, I find that, that we can get so weighted with, uh, with our own sin. We can be struggling and feel like, we're the only ones struggling that, you know, how could God use us? How could God use me with the struggles that I have? Uh, but this, again, this passage just reminds me that God redeems and uses sinners. And uh, as Peter's making this appeal to those believers at the time, Christ is making the same appeal to us that he's, he accepts us, he's transforming us, and he plans to use us. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said because it's 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 like chapter one, verse one to chapter two, verse ten. You know, it's it's like you're on this mountaintop and you're seeing, <laughs> yeah. and then you're going to come into chapter two, verse eleven, and it's like, okay, I'm I'm all ready for this. Like, let me at this mm-hmm. Christian life. I am going to conquer this. I'm going to be, you know, the best Christian uh, walking. And then all of a sudden, you come to chapter two, verse eleven, and it's like, oh, why do I sin? Like, what is mm-hmm. going on in my life? I just heard all of these amazing truths. Um, and then I just know that my mind or my my actions or my voice, my words just go a certain way. And I'm like, that's, it seems so, such a contrast to chapter one. And I, I liked what you said. It's it's true um, that that God God knows his glory, but God also knows our battles. And, and that's that's a lot of comfort. I think the other thing yeah. that um, struck me as well, when I was looking at verses 11 and 12, um, it's it's sometimes how we, you know, respond to others when they sin or even respond to yeah. ourselves when we sin. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, I think we both had this experience where um, we've sinned and we say, man, I just got to stop it. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like yeah. David, just stop. Or, mm-hmm. um, or we could say something like... Uh, like, oh, why did I do that again? Like, why did I conduct myself that way? Um, why do I keep on saying those things or hurting people around me? And that's exactly what verses 11 and 12 are saying in the midst of all these mm-hmm. glories, like you pointed out. Um, that's, it's it's going to be a battle of our heart. It's going to be a mm-hmm. battle that's being waged inside of us, our soul. And sometimes just knowing that allows us to know how to journey with ourselves and how to journey with others. So if I, if, you know, if, if, um, uh, you, if I sinned against you in some way and you said to me, well, you just need to stop it, which is what we do a lot with other people. Our natural, our response is I would love to stop it. Um, but that's the battle. Um, and sometimes it does a great disservice, you know, in relationships where we just, especially sometimes when we're talking about our, to our children, um, you just need to stop. You need to be better. You need to, you know, you need to conduct mm-hmm. yourself differently. And it's, and if they could articulate it, they would say, that's my battle. I can't stop. And that's why these moments become such gospel moments. 
Um, and I think it's exactly what you said. It allows us to take our children, or if I sinned against you, our conversation back to First Peter chapter 1 and say, you know what? We have all these glories in Christ. Um, they'll be an encouragement to our battle. Or chapter 2, verse 10, we've received his mm -hmm. mercy. That'll be an encouragement in my battle. Um, and sometimes just to acknowledge uh, it's a battle and I am going to struggle with abstaining and conducting um, and, and to know that about others and know that about ourselves. No, that's, that's good. And I, I'm reminded about what we talked about a few weeks ago and you preached on earlier on in chapter two in, in verse five, where it says that we are being built up to be a holy priesthood. So it's God who's waging that war in our hearts uh, against our sin. And, and like you were saying, we, 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 we tend to go to the stop it uh, rather than what Peter's bringing our attention to is God's work in our sanctification, God's work in changing our hearts and changing our lives and our need to rely on him. Yeah. So, Which does good. then lead to ver the end of verse 12. It's, it, it leads to good works that will glorify God on the day that he visits. And again, it's like you talk about that growth, the day that he visits is that eternal perspective. Like when he returns to judge the living and the dead, um, we know, I know that some of my battles will be lifelong. Um, but when, I think when Peter adds, and we didn't get to this Sunday morning, but when Peter adds, will glorify God on the day he visits, it's not only what God will do on that final day, but it's basically saying God's in this for the long haul with you. Like God's not going to give up on you. Um, God's going to keep on working his holiness and you're going to keep on growing in good works because God is not going to leave you. God is not going to forsake you. So he leaves us with hope because we know he knows in our lives that this battle can be tiring. And I wonder how many people uh, listen and just say, you know what, that's exactly where I'm at especially during uh, some of the, the, the strange difficulties that we're going through and learning just to be patient. Um, and like you said um, at the beginning of First Peter 2, growth doesn't happen um, immediately. It takes time, and God's in this for the long haul. Um, and that's why we are patiently merciful with one another. Um, still saying, you know, I have to abstain and I have to yeah. grow and I want to conduct myself for good works. Um, but, but that's God's perspective. And sometimes it's so refreshing to hear God's perspective. Yeah. And I love his perspective is about us laying our burdens on him, uh, of going to him for that help, for that rest, for that strength and that assurance. Um, now this coming week, we're going to be heading into verse 13 of chapter two, what starts to talk about submission to human authority and submitting to one another. And I, I, I just wonder, what are some quick thoughts you might have regarding these passages? And you and I have talked personally about these things, but what, what would be some things that you, would, that, that you could share? I think, uh, I think just two things. I think, first of all, we don't think often of dearly loved and submission together. Um, okay. But they do. They, they, they have to go together. Um, we can submit to God because we're dearly loved. Um, and then we could submit to, you know, the various authorities or relationships in our life because we are dearly loved by God. So that's, and, and we'll, we'll struggle with that. But that's why um, context is so important. 
Um, we, we are called to a life of humility and a life of humility is uh, because um, we, we know that that's how Christ lived, but we also know that we will be dearly loved um, in our various circumstances of life. And then I think the second thing, I think especially for those to whom Peter is writing, submission would just, it would be such a shocking word. Yeah. An absolute sure. shocking word because we're talking about the Roman government. Um, we're talking about cruel masters. Uh, we're talking about difficult marriage relationships. Uh, like I said this past Sunday, Peter's not talking about the ideal relationships. He's saying this is going to be tough. And I think, I don't think back then um, they, uh, it, it's not like they struggled or they said, oh, yay, we got to talk about submission. Um, as we struggle with it, I am sure that they struggled with it. So I think, I think it's a shocking direction for Peter to take, but so foundational. Yeah, I think it's so timely for us to be talking about right now especially in, in the midst of the pandemic that, that we're faced with, there's been all kinds of reaction to government policies and decisions that are being made. And I love how the gospel speaks to that even. The gospel is speaking to us today on how we conduct ourselves in the world and how we submit to those that God's called us to submit to and to submit to him ultimately knowing that we are deeply loved. And next so. week, Lord willing, we want to talk a bit about some of the implications of submitting to the government. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David.